So there's just stories like that woven all throughout the book, showing how you know doing these these small but you know they end up being small but mighty things that create um, massive impact. And so that's the power of the the ripple effect that I talk about in the book. You know, you lift lift one woman up by doing something, or lift two women up, and then they go lift two other women up, and then they go lift two other women up, and it it ripples into um, immeasurable impact. This is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro Three, two. Hello friends, Maestro here and welcome back to another episode of my favorite podcast. Today I have a guest with me that quite frankly I'm like how the hell did it take so long for this to happen but either way here we are. There's a good chance that you already know or you've already heard of her but if you haven't prepare to fall in love with her. She is the founder of Girls Gone Strong. She wrote a book. Like to me, I'm like, that's like the hugest thing. She wrote a book called Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. It's coming out this March. So you're going to hear a little sneak peek about that. She speaks internationally. She does all the things. And quite frankly, she's just awesome. So I'm super, super stoked to have her on the podcast today. Without further ado, welcome to the show, my good friend, Molly Galbraith, and I'm going to have her tell you about her last name. Three, two, one, passing it over to you. Welcome, Molly. Oh, Maestro, thank you so much for having me on. Like you said, I have no idea how it took so long, but I am thrilled to be here. And yes, Molly Galbraith. So before the show, she's like, how do you pronounce your last name? And I'm like, well, that's not a super simple answer. Uh, we say Galbraith, but I think that's probably because we're from Kentucky. So we're like Galbraith, but I think the actual pronunciation is probably Galbraith. So, um, if you're not listening to this or if you're listening to this and you forget and you ever say my name and you say it wrong, I don't blame you. I've gotten like Galbraith, Galbraith, Gilbert, yeah, all of the I in there, it throws you off. And I'm like, what do I pronounce the I? So we're all from Kentucky now when we say your last name. Yep. So Molly, can you do me a solid and give the folks whatever background, little intro you'd like to give them? Because there's a big background, but whatever you want to share with folks. There is. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I've been in health and fitness for 17 years. Um, I've, I've done a little bit of everything. So I have coach clients online and in person. I opened a co-opened a brick and mortar gym in Lexington, Kentucky and helped run that for several years. I've competed in figure competitions. I've dabbled in powerlifting. I've spoken, I've trained under some of the greatest strength coaches and, you know, physical therapists and other experts in the world. Um, and what I do now is run Girls Gone Strong. So Girls Gone Strong started in 2011. There were seven of us who initially came together. Um, I know it's hard to believe it was just 10 years ago, but even 10 years ago, there were so few women in the weight room 
like smashing weights. And so honestly, a bunch of us came together because we were seeking community of other strong women who like to lift. And that was essentially the catalyst for starting Girls Gone Strong. We got together to support a woman at her powerlifting meet. Um, women flew from all over the world. We came from wow. like Las Vegas and Baltimore and Chicago and Belfast, Northern Ireland, and all just to get together to literally get in a workout. That is some dedication wow. right there. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so that was 2011. So we got together to get in a workout and just enjoy time with other strong women. Had such amazing chemistry among the seven of us that we decided we can't let this die. We want to do something with our passion for women in strength training. So started Girls Gone Strong. And it started as a simple Facebook page. And over the last 10 years has evolved into basically the world's <clears throat> excuse me, largest platform um, providing evidence-based, interdisciplinary, uh, women-specific health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy information to women and the professionals who work with them. So that's kind of uh, kind of our jam these days. Damn. How, how did this go from a Facebook page to the next level? What like that's but a lot of people start <laughs> Facebook pages, but it doesn't become something like this. Like what what happened? Yeah. So, you know, kicked off that Facebook page. And I mean, if you can, you know, all the way back to 2011, yeah. <laughs> I think fan pages were like just barely a thing. Yeah. I don't even like to call it a fan page, but, you know, fan pages were just a thing. And we had a thousand people following our page within the first day, which again, at that Damn. time was huge. Right. Gosh. And all the guys in strength and conditioning were sending um, women our way, which was really cool. They were incredibly supportive. And, you know, I think selfishly for them, they're like, well, they won't listen to me as well as they'll listen to you. Yeah. My clients, you know, my clients are my partner or whatever. Um, and so we just had an enormous amount of support and we saw women so hungry for um, other women celebrating women in strength. Again, there was just almost no other platforms doing that at the time. And so, um, yeah, just, there was this enormous outpouring and we just were started providing, you know, information and videos and tips and started a website. And the first day we launched our website, we had 17,000 people, I think hit the page and wow. we're like, okay, we're on to something. And it was one of those really wow. um, beautiful kind of situations where, like people were eventually begging us for gear, for training programs, for coaching. It was like we were providing so much value and providing something so different for them that they were literally like knocking down our door, wanting to buy stuff from us. Um, but, you know, there were several of us involved at one point. And by 2014, I was the, I was the only one still kind of running the show. Um, oh. But I had my gym. I had a seminar business. I had a business with a previous partner of mine that when we broke up, he kept the business. So I was pretty scattered and was could really only focus on just giving, 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 which it wasn't really a conscious kind of model at the time, like give, give, give until they yep. bang down your door to buy something from yep. you. That's kind of how it went. So we released our first actual like paid program in 2014, it was a strength and conditioning program for women, and it sold in 40 countries in like six days. Wow. Fuck yes. My listeners, you folks listening, you know I, I'm eating this model up. Give a million times before you ask, and oftentimes you don't even have to ask because people start asking you, which is exactly what, what Molly is saying here. Molly, can you take me back before this? Because you kind of threw this out nonchalantly, but you have started a million things. 
this is the story, the summary that I'm getting. Like I started this brick and mortar and then I started this other business and then we started this other thing. And then I had a continuing education in the seminar company. Like there's a lot of stuff. Have you always been like this where you're like, I'm, there's a problem. I'm going to solve it. Yes. Um, so I grew up in a financially unstable household. So my parents divorced when I was like five, I guess my dad, this is going to go a totally different direction. My dad was actually, um, is considered one of the grandfathers of the industrial hemp and medical marijuana movement. So back in the late seventies, he was writing legislation for legalizing and taxing industrial hemp and medical marijuana in Kentucky. (laughs) So, but, um, so he was running for political office unsuccessfully on the platform of of legalizing industrial hemp and medical marijuana in Kentucky in the early eighties, um, which believe it or not, was not super popular then. I know it's going to be very hard for you all to wrap your brains around, but it was not super popular. So they divorced. My mom went back to law school, um, when I was seven. So she was a single mom, three kids in law school, no idea how she did it. Um, but my dad was practicing law, um, on the side of essentially running for office and his activism. So he didn't have a lot of money. And so I grew up with feeling like there wasn't enough and just a lot of scarcity and, you know, worried about money and things like that. So when I was seven years old, my dad asked to borrow money from me for the first time. He asked, if he could borrow money. Oh yeah. He asked if he could borrow 20 bucks. And I was like, well, dad, if you have my money and I don't have it, I should probably get something for it because what if I want to buy something and I can't because you have it? And he's like, baby, what you're talking about is called interest and I'd be happy to pay you. So I started charging my dad interest, like sharp loan interest rates um, when I was seven. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was a dollar a day. So it was 5% daily, daily interest. Um, And so I've just kind of, part of my um, wanting to start things or, you know, solve problems was born out of necessity of, you know, scarcity and feeling like I didn't have enough. And I've always been like a saver and I've always, I got my first job when I was 13. Um, but also I think it was seeing, you know, just like my, my mom and dad, both of them were very passionate about identifying problems that they saw, whether it was in their community or the world and trying to come up with solutions to solve them. So that has always been something. And they've always kind of marched to the beat of their own drum, I guess you could say. And so straight out of grad school, I started dating a guy. Um, We're not together anymore, but he had this idea for a health and fitness software company. So I got into fitness in 2004. He and I started that company in 2006. I was hustling and waiting tables and bartending and doing all that, trying to make ends meet while we were starting that business. Then I had an opportunity to co-open a gym with a different partner, a business partner. Um, So I did that. Then Girls Gone Strong started. Then my gym business partner and I, um, we saw that there were no seminars that were focused on like teaching professionals how to coach women. And so we're like, let's, let's do that. And so it was a combination of seeing um, gaps that needed to be mm-hmm. filled and, and feeling like, well, having, I always talk about like the naivete and the audacity to be like, well, sure, I'll do that. You know? Yeah, um, I love it though. Yeah. And so, you know, those, the software business that I first started did not work out. Um, I sold the gym and we shut down the seminar business once girls gone strong um, started kind of taking off. And so that's been my main focus since then, but yeah, it's just, you know, seeing that there's a gap that I think that I can fill, that I'm audacious and naive enough to think that I can fill 
taking the leap before I have any plans for how it's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, seeing what happens from there. And when, when you do that enough and you get enough reps under your belt um, and you meet an awesome partner like my partner, Casey, who works with, uh, who helps significantly with Girls Gone Strong. I mean, he's been, he's been huge in helping um, GGS have the impact and the growth that it's had. But yeah, like you, you keep doing it enough times and I think good stuff happens. Dude, I want to keep, keep going with this. I have two directions I want to go, but I'm thinking I'm going to go with the first one, which is when you have all these things and then you move on to the next thing, and you just said it, like you have to stop doing things. You mm -hmm. shut stuff down. You sell other things. You move forward. You create space, which is not easy. I think we all have a tendency to be like, but I want to hold on to this thing because it's like working and like I put so much sweat into it. Can you talk about moving forward from projects and moving on from projects? Yeah, definitely. So the software business, I mean, I can't tell you how many thousands of hours I had invested in that. And, um, you know, we didn't do a great job with it because we didn't, we didn't know how to get it in people's hands. We thought if we built it, that they would come mm -hmm. and that did yeah. not happen with that, <laughs> with that business. Um, so that one was disappointing to walk away from, but I was also ending our personal relationship. So I think that made it a little bit easier. Um, with the gym, I, I felt like, you know, it was difficult to walk away and I missed all of the clients that I worked with, but it was, I also, I just recognized it as a season of my life that prepared me to go on and do the next thing that I was going to do. So I never looked at it as a waste. I never looked at it as giving something up, but more at the stepping stone or the laying of the foundation to do the next thing that I'm, that I wanted to do. And so and I saw that I had the opportunity to just make a lot, have a much bigger, you know, kind of global impact that I wanted yeah. to have by doing the work at Girls Gone Strong. And I knew I couldn't do that if I was spreading myself too thin with the gym. So there was certainly a grieving period of I had this thing and now I don't. And, you know, I miss all my clients so much. And but I was able to to really see it for what it was, which was a uh, a stepping stone, a place where I gained so much skills and knowledge and um yeah, just really solidified um, my, you know, got tons of experience and tons of reps, you know, coaching clients and saying, okay, cool. That, that was that season of my life and it helped prepare me to do this next thing. I love that, that approach of laying the foundation. I love that. I wrote that down on my whiteboard. I take notes mm -hmm. when we, as we do, as I do podcasts, for those of you listening, if you're starting a podcast, you have a podcast, something like that. I highly recommend get yourself a nice little whiteboard. I have like 57,000 here, but there's something like this <laughs> whiteboard. It just makes things so much easier to write down the notes as you're going. You're like, oh, these are things I want to talk about. This jumped out at me. And that was something that really jumped out right there was laying of the foundation. That's a phenomenal way to look at it. Because I, I know that people, we tend to, we're so loss averse, you know, as a as mm. a species that we're like, but I did this and I don't, I don't want to. But it really is still building on the, on your previous successes or your previous experiences. Can you move us forward, Molly? What are you doing? What is your role right now within Girls Gone Strong? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have grown a lot. Um, as mentioned, I have, a, I have a partner, Casey. So he and I are kind of at the helm of GGS. Um, I do, my main stuff is kind of mission, vision, content, and voice. And he does more um, operations, strategy, <clears throat> finance, stuff like that. Um, and so over the last, I guess, four years ago, we started the Girls Gone Strong Academy. So we've realized 
that there was a massive gap in the industry that no one was filling. No one was providing um, comprehensive. I'm going to throw a lot of words at you, but I'll break them down in a second. No one else was providing comprehensive, evidence-based, interdisciplinary, women-specific health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy certifications for health and fitness professionals. So basically there were people out there providing continuing education, maybe in like one small segment. So like postnatal exercise or, you know, uh, pregnancy nutrition or whatever, and they're great, but it was typically one professional in one kind of Mm -hmm. like silo of a, of a, you know, of, um, I can't think of the word of profession providing the information. So we're like, cool. What if we do something incredibly comprehensive where we cover coaching, psychology, nutrition, anatomy, and physiology, exercise, rest, recovery, programming. And what if we bring together tons of world-class experts who can collaborate on this education? So physiotherapists, you know, PhDs in exercise science and psychology and molecular biology, OBGYNs, doulas, midwives, registered dietitians, strength coaches. What if we brought all these people together to collaborate and made it, you know, research-backed and interdisciplinary, comprehensive? So we launched our Girls Gone Strong Academy and we have two certifications. One is comprehensive and covers coaching women across their lifespan. So talking about everything from, you know, menstrual cycle, menopause, pelvic health, body image struggles, disordered eating, all within the scope of practice of a coach. And then we have one that is very specific to women who are pregnant and postpartum. So again, we cover the coaching, the psychology, nutrition, anatomy, and physiology exercise, all specific to pre and postnatal women. And yeah, that's kind of really been our big focus for the last three or four years is releasing those certifications out into the world. When you get education in health and fitness, especially if it's like a biomechanics degree or kinesiology or exercise science, or even physical therapy, they don't tell you that a lot of the information that they're sharing with you is based on 18 to 24 year old white men. Ah. Um, And so, um, you know, there's like, there are physical therapists that I know three and four years ago who had never heard of pelvic health physical therapy. They didn't even know that it was a specialty within their own profession. And so there's been a lot more awareness raised over the last several years, which is fantastic. But um, yeah, there's just a huge need for, for women to get quality coaching from health and fitness professionals who need a deeper understanding of all of the unique anatomical and physiological and psychological, uh, you know, things that, uh, experiences that women have in order to be able to coach them really well. How did it go for you with asking? So you, one of the things I love is that this interdisciplinary model, like everyone knows it's, I'm all about collaboration over competition, but you're saying like you're you're asking a lot of you know big names and things like that and it's a lot of different people how did that what did that look like um have you seen the movie oceans eight yes <laughs> yes kind of like that no it's um so it's uh <laughs> where it's like we're gonna build the most badass team of women to do this thing that nobody's done um so a, it, a couple of different things. Number one, it goes back to adding incredible value and putting incredible value out into the world for so long yes. that really cool people want to be part of Love the that. things that you're doing, right? So um, if, you know, if I had just started the organization out of nowhere and reached out to 
you know, these super awesome professionals, they'd probably be like, mm, I've got other stuff going on. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you put an enormous amount of value into the world then people are excited to be part of your projects, um, they wanted to be part of something that hadn't been done before. This wasn't the same old, same old thing that they've been asked to do. Right. Um, I don't want to poo-poo anybody else's projects, but it's just, it wasn't, you know, like, Hey, this run of the mill online summit or whatever. Right. It was like, Mm -hmm. Hey, we have a chance to do something really remarkable here together. And then once you get a couple of people on board, you can be like, Hey, do you want to join this person, that person, and this person to be part of this really cool project? And then at that point, people are like, hell yeah, this is awesome. Like if these people have um, been, you know, want to put their name on this, want to spend their valuable time and energy on this, then let's do it. And we pay people. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's really important as well as, you know, earlier in our, um, uh, in the creation of Girls Gone Strong, you know, we didn't have as much money, right? So we weren't Mm -hmm. able to pay people, um, what we wanted to pay them, but they got to be part of something really special. But I mean, today we do our best to pay women what they're worth for their valuable time. And then also make sure that people know that they're part of the project. So, you know, we've got awesome physiotherapists like Dr. Meryl Alipatu and Dr. Sandy Hilton and Dr. Carrie Cagliano, just all these amazing names. Um, and, and we're like, Hey, you know, your time's really valuable. We're going to do what we can to compensate you um, fairly for the work that you're doing. I love it. So many things you're saying there, especially fucking paying people. I hate mm-hmm. that shit. And just be like, it's a good, no. good <laughs> what is it? A good marketing opportunity? Or what do they say? It's yeah, a exactly. Good, good exposure. exposure opportunity. Get the fuck yeah. out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. So much that you dropped there. Number one, I'm going to actually just go back to the little tangent kind of here. With Ocean's 8, phenomenal movie, and it did not do as well as it should have. Why? Because it was all women. We already know. Like, that movie was so good. If you listen to this, you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. Second thing that Molly said there, showing up and, and putting out really good shit for so long beforehand. It is the best way to build something. And I think it's really one of the only times that you kind of see that mantra if you build it they will come mm-hmm. if you've been building something super dope and giving 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 and super high quality for so long then yes other people are like i want to be a part of this amazing thing and then molly layers in pay people to do their stuff it's very 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 simple i get it. if you're just starting out maybe you don't have a lot of money with things makes total sense and molly was very upfront with that but then as you grow make sure that you're paying your people Question, Molly, the name, can you talk to me? Where did that come from? And was there like pushback because of the play on Girls Gone Wild? Like what, what are we going, what's going on here? Yeah. So yes, yes. And yes. Um, So it started, gosh, to be honest, I can't even remember who of the seven of us came up with the name. I remember I was with Jen Comas, who's also a co-founder and one of my best friends um, when one of the other women proposed the name to us and we loved it because at the time we felt like, Hey, like we can almost like take it back a bit, you know, like, okay, Mm -hmm. girls gone wild, right? Like if someone wants to lift up their shirt and show someone else their breasts, that's fine. I hate girls gone wild because it exploits underage girls. So that's Uh a totally different story, (laughs) but, um, 
but we felt like we can say like, Hey, this is what, this is what girls are doing. This is what women are doing. Like girls mm-hmm. gone strong. Right. And okay. we thought we could have a really positive spin and we thought it was catchy. Um, we have gotten pushback for the idea that we use the word girls instead of women. Totally fair as well. I am a 36 year old woman. I don't often refer to myself as a girl. I was mm-hmm. 26 or 27 when yeah. I started. Um, but you know, like at this point, there's so much, um, it's really catchy. There's a lot of equity in the name. We often refer to ourselves as GGS. Um, and I am of the perspective that girls and women get to call themselves whatever the hell they want to call themselves. So whether they call themselves a girl or a woman, it's really different if, you know, your older male boss is calling you a girl in a patronizing way, right. Versus like, Hey, we're going to have a girl's night out. So, um, context matters. Um, you know, I I think, yeah, so we have gotten a little bit of pushback. Um, and you know, we just say, Hey, totally, totally valid. If this turns you off enough to, you know, not want to be involved in it, we understand like that's cool. You know, we're just going to keep rolling along and doing, doing the work that we do. We appreciate your feedback. Dude. I love it. I want to keep going down that route. One of the things that I've seen, I've spoken about it on other podcasts and episodes that I've had, um, just in general is that Women don't always support women. I, I feel that I've been very fortunate in that I look the way I do and I kind of don't get pushed back because, you know, I'm neither fish nor fowl to many people. So they're like, oh, fine. It doesn't matter. You're, you're, I don't, you know, believe that you're competition. So they support me. But what I have seen in, in general, especially with very heterosexual presenting white women mm. or just heterosexual presenting in general, there's not a lot of support or there, there can be so much pushback from other women. Have you dealt with that, Molly? Yeah. So that's a great question and something that I talk about in my book. So, you know, grew up without a lot of money, didn't have cool clothes, was kind of the weird smart kid, um, didn't have a lot of friends in elementary school and middle school, didn't help that my dad was wanting to legalize marijuana during the war on drugs. <laughs> um, and dare, the height of like the dare, dead oh my drug God, yes. and you know. So that did not really help my social status at school, I don't think. Um, So I definitely dealt with some of that, like bullying and, um, you know, not being part of the cool crowd and not having people support me. And then the summer before my freshman year of high school, my mom started, had gotten a job at a law firm and was making a little more money. Had enough money for me to highlight my hair and um, hire a, a cheerleader, an older cheerleader to come over and um, you know, help me make the cheerleading squad. And I hit puberty. So I basically developed breasts overnight. And so the summer b- before ninth grade, I showed up like in high school and I was all of a sudden blonde and had big boobs and was a cheerleader and boom, like I was accepted and, um, essentially part of the popular crowd almost immediately. And so for my little 13 year old brain, that taught me that the way that I looked was more important than who I was. And it, because I was essentially the same person as I had been a few months ago, but suddenly people wanted to be my friend. They liked me, you know, they, I was invited to things. Um, and so that taught me that, that, uh, that only so many girls could be accepted, that you had to look a very particular way and be a very particular way to be part of that in crowd. And I had some other experiences earlier in my life that taught me that stepping on other girls and women was the way to get there. So I had this incredible scarcity mindset of, 
you know, even with my friends, I felt like I was secretly competing with them, you know, for the spot on the cheerleading squad or the, you know, spot in the sorority or, you know, for the best grades in the class. And it felt like if, if she had something, there was less left for me. And then when we look around, like, that's not just in middle school and high school, right? We look, we go to a conference and there's one woman on a panel of 10. There's, you know, what, what, 5% 5% of women in the C-suite or whatever, you know, you look at the numbers and I think it was this last year, there were more women elected to Congress than ever, but it's still like 24%. And I think fewer than 11 or 12% are heads of government. So essentially president, prime minister around the world, there's 5% of them are um, CEOs of fortune 500 companies. And there have only been two black women who have ever been CEO of a fortune 500 company. Only one is at this moment. And so when you look around and you see that there are fewer spots available for women in all of these important decisions where are all these important places where decisions are made, whether it's in the boardroom or in government or in places of worship or in you know academia, it feels as if we are competing with one another. But it the, here's the here's the fucked up part: it feels normal. Because we look around and we see one or two women on the panel and we think that those are the, that's how many spots are available for women. And when we think it's normal, then we compete with each other for scraps instead of demanding more for ourselves and each other. Yes. And when that happens, then we get pitted against each other. Not to mention, we grow up hearing women are catty, girls are mean, you know, that kind of like trope, right? But it's the self-fulfilling thing that we've been told that. And so then we look around and feel like there's not enough for us and we're not good enough and we're not pretty enough and we're not lean enough. And, you know, this boy doesn't like me and that's, you know, your value is in, you know, how attractive you are and things like that. Like we're hustling for that scarcity. And so then if someone else gets another woman gets something, we're like, well, then if she has it, then there's less left for me. But that's, that's the part that's not true is there doesn't have to be less left for you. We can work together to create more opportunities for ourselves and each other. Cause I truly believe there is enough to go around and keep going. <laughs> and there, because of our internalized misogyny, if a, another woman is mean to us, we chalk it up to her being a woman, not just her being mm. an asshole, right? <laughs> like guys are assholes to us all the time, but it's not the same. So, yeah. you know, people say like, have you, so, so for women who have experienced um, other women tearing them down, being mean to them, gossiping, judging, like, I don't want to invalidate that experience. Cause that is, that is true. That's your lived experience. That's happened to you. It has happened to me. Um, and I don't believe that that is inherently who women and girls are. Love it. I love it. I love it. It's just so, one of the things I really value and Molly and I have spoken before. And one of the things I really value about the conversation is that we have very different backgrounds and very different experiences from things. So for me, I'm like, yes, I want to hear this and I want to hear what your experience has been and, you know, the, the realizations that you've had and what you're doing to, you know, combat that or, or draw, you know, bring attention to these things, keeping in mind with that or keeping in line with that and, and bringing attention to this and doing something about it and saying something about it. Can you talk to me about your book? Yes, I would love to. Thank you for asking. So <clears throat> brand new book coming out called strong women lift each other up, um, comes out March 9th. I am so excited about it. It is my most important work to date 
Um, I, when I first sat down with um, Camille de Putter, who was a woman who helped with the storytelling of the book, she does some work with Girls Gone Strong and is a beautiful storyteller. And she uh, flew to Kentucky a couple of years ago to help me kind of start mapping out what I wanted to talk about. And her first question was, <clears throat> was why do you want to write this book? And my answer was because I'll shrivel up and die if I don't. And, uh, and it sounds dramatic, but it's one of those things where like, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't write it. Cause it had to come out. It had to live outside my body. So, and I don't know how else to describe it, but it felt like it was like banging on my insides and had to get out. So, you know, we've done so much work at Girls Gone Strong and worked with so many women in different capacities and, uh, you know, just have access to, um, to hear so much of what women really want for their life and for the world. And I think we're at this critical time, especially sociopolitically, where so many women want to create change and they don't know how. So mm -hmm. I was out for a walk with one of my friends maybe four or six months ago, and she's this very successful attorney and, you know, her husband's awesome and he has a great job that he loves and they have a beautiful son. And we were walking and she's like, you know, I, I love what I do for work. And, you know, my marriage is good. And I, you know, my son and this and that, she's like, but I just, I just can't help, but feel like I was made for more than what I'm doing right now. And I think so many women feel that way. And she's yeah. like, but I just don't know what to do. Like, can I, like, I guess I could join like a board of like a charity or something. And and so I think so many women have that itchy feeling inside of them where it's like, I want to do something. I want to create change. I want my life to matter. I want, you know, my work to matter. I want to make an impact. But I think there's three things holding them back. And the first is they don't know what to do. Um, the second is they feel like that the thing that they do as one single individual won't matter. And the third is they're afraid of being criticized for what they do, whether being told it's not enough, it's not the right thing. And so for me, this book helps women understand what to do, helps them understand how powerful they are as one person, and then helps them understand that they, they probably will get criticized for the stuff yeah. that they're doing. But if they are steadfast in their values and have radical clarity about who they are and what they were put here to do, then it, that won't matter. My dad used to say, baby, it's not what they call you. It's what you answer to that counts. And oh my. that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he knew, right? He even called everything under the freaking sun. Um, and but when you just when you believe that in your bones, that's not what they call you, it's what you answer to that counts. It's just like, man, that changes everything. So the goal with strong women lift each other up as you read the book. So the first half of the book is talking a lot about getting getting your own shit right. So how, overcoming struggles that you might have with body image, comparison jealousy, self-doubt, um, you know, struggling to believe in your own abilities, the comparison trap, you know, where you're constantly feeling like you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you're not measuring up, other people have it better than you. So it's re really the first half of the book is all about overcoming that, um, getting radically clear on your values, um, learning how to believe in other women, so recognizing maybe what false beliefs you have about yourself and other women, overcoming those. And then the second half of the book is how do I actually lift women up in my everyday life? And so um, the first couple chapters of the, the part about lifting other women up, I give really powerful 
but small actionable things that you can do in your own life right now that can create massive ripple effects down the road of lifting other women up. So you don't need a lot of time, money, influence, anything like that to be able to do those things. And I share stories throughout the book of how these small actions have actually you know, rippled into um, amazing, huge outcomes down the road. And I'll, sh I'll share one of those in just a second. And then a little further along towards the end of the book, it's like, okay, cool. Let's figure out what your superpowers are. Let's figure out what your values are. Let's figure out what's important to you, who you want to help, um, what resources you do have access to, because resources are really important for creating change, whether it's money or time or influence or insider knowledge or access to, you know, particular people in power and things like that. And we help you kind of create a superpower statement to help women see, okay, this is, this is how I can uniquely contribute to the world. Because here's the thing, if we're going to create change, we need people doing all the things. We need people marching and protesting and raising money and donating money and innovating and researching and hiring and speaking and teaching children and, you know, birthing and raising children. Like we need all of those roles in order to create the kind of change that we want to create. So one of my favorite examples is I'm a big fan of what I call the top down, bottom up, outside in, inside out approach to creating change. And a really great example is fitness conferences. Yes. So if you've been to a fitness conference in the last end of 10 years, for the most part, they're getting, there's creating some change, they're getting better, but they've been primarily white and male mm -hmm. and male dominated, right? So it's really easy to attend a conference and be like, oh, the people who put this conference on, they suck. They don't even care about this stuff. Like, you know, I'm not coming back. Like they don't have enough women. There's not enough, you know, women of color. There's not enough people with visible disabilities and, you know, people in larger bodies. Like I'm not coming back. They don't care. And it's like, well, that's, you know, that's definitely a valid perspective, but in order to create change, in order to improve representation at health and fitness conferences, we need a significant amount of people playing different roles. So we need people at the top to say, Hey, this is actually a problem and we're willing to do something about it. We are you know, willing to recognize where we're falling short. We're willing to ask for recommendations. We're going to cast our net a little bit wider. We're going to invite people who are maybe outside of our direct network. And we're going to be really specific to say, hey, it's important to us to increase the visible diversity at this conference. If you know of anyone who might be a good fit, let us know. So people at the top have to be willing to do that. And from the bottom up, right? Fitness is a relatively young industry. It is simply a truth that there are fewer women who have been in the industry for 10, 20, 30, 40 years than there are men, right? So we need more women to be, you know, entering this field, staying here, getting experience, doing a really good job, applying to speak, and then accepting the invite when they're asked. Cause we, I've asked a number of women to speak and they haven't done it. So we need them, we need that pipeline to be fuller so that there are more, um, more women to choose from to have speak at the conferences. So that's top down, bottom up, inside out. When I first got asked to speak at Perform Better in, I think, 2015 or 16, Rachel Cosgrove saw my name and she emailed me. It's like, hey, I want to give you the inside scoop so that you can be really successful and be here for a long time. And she talked to me about like, hey, you know, here's how these events work. And, you know, here's some recommendations that I have so that you can be really successful. So she was on the inside making me feel welcome, giving me insider knowledge, like helping me do a good job so that I could actually stay on the inside 
for a long time. And now I've been speaking at their events for four or five years. Um, and so that's important too, because there's evidence to suggest that when women are the only person in the room, whether it's, you know, the company or the place of worship or whatever, they're less likely to stay. And yeah. so she was there, she stayed there, she brought me in, and now I have been able to recommend and bring in other women. And so that's the inside out. And then you got outside in, you need the attendees who are on the outside of the conference to raise hell, to say like, hey, I like this event, but I'm not going to come back unless you have you know, more women or more women of color speaking, you need those attendees to attend the women's talks, to give them the support because the most well-attended talks are the speakers who get asked back. You need them to say, to email the, you know, coordinator afterwards and say, Hey, I think Molly did a really good job. I would love to see her at more of your events this year. I'd love to see her back next year. So those people on the outside need to create the change by demanding the change from the inside. And all of those roles are important. Nothing changes unless every single one of those things is happening. And so I want people to recognize that we all have a unique role to play and to help them find what is their role in creating change, whether it's in their workplace, in academia, in their home, in their place of worship, whatever, and to feel so just steadfast in knowing that that is what they were put here to do. They have this just unshakable sense of confidence and just clarity on how they're supposed to spend their time that it doesn't matter if they get criticized by other folks, if other people tell them they're lifting women up wrong or they're creating change wrong because they, they know what they were put here to do and they can see how what they have done creates a massive impact over time in the lives of, of other women. This, all of this, all of that, so much, yes. Just, I love that you give everyone a suggestion on something to do. Every single person has an option to do something. Like that is absolutely phenomenal. Top down, bottom up, inside out, outside in. That is so, this, you folks listening, I say it all the time. This is why I love having a podcast because you can hear the passion in that person's voice when they start talking about something that lights them up, that means something to them. And you can't help but be like, and now I want to do that thing. Or now I want to read that book. Like, yes, just all. I also love that you give actionable steps in your book. Like one of the things I, I'm not a huge reader. Folks know this. Because part of it is that I just feel like so many books as an author just giving you 17,000 examples of the same shit. And I'm like, I believe you. You wrote a book. You don't have to give me all examples. Like, get some actionable steps. Like, let's get to the point here. I love that you do that and the way that it's that it's broken up. I don't know if you're going to say yes to this, Molly. But before, uh, before we talked before, um, months ago, you mentioned a person and uh, I guess I don't want to say it wasn't a quote because I don't want to say it was a quote because I don't remember the quote, but just talking about uh, being underestimated. I think that was kind of the word that was used as like not underrepresented, but maybe underestimated. Do you remember that conversation? Yes, that's Arlen Hamilton. She's incredible. She started Backstage Capital. She went from broke to investing in like over a hundred businesses in like a three to five year period. And um, yeah, she's incredible. So she says, yeah, we're not underrepresented, we're underestimated. And she loves investing in um, startups that are led by women, people of color and LGBTQ folks. So she identifies in all three of those groups. And she's like, I mean, 
talk about like who you want to invest in. Like you want to invest in people who have been underestimated, who have had fewer resources, who've been given fewer chances and have gotten, you know, who, who have done more with less essentially. She's like, that's who I want to put my money on. So yeah, she's incredible. So that came up because you have a, you have a different, your book's not just a book. You interviewed people and, and have like a, I don't know what the word, a compilation of, 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 I don't even know what the word is that I want to use. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was really important to me, you know, when writing this book to actually embody the book as well. So one of the, uh, believe it or not, actually do what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> we, uh, so yeah, you know, there's, I had some, some feelings, right, about taking up this space and talking about lifting women up and, you know, I'm aware of my, my identity. And, it, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book that is really important is amplifying other women's voices and sharing their work and, you know, giving them credit where it's due. And there are just so many incredible women out there who are doing the things that I'm talking about in the book that I wanted to use them as examples. Um, I wanted to share their stories. I wanted to show how they're making an impact with their work. And so it was really fun and special and cool to be able to highlight so many different women putting this stuff into practice and showing the ripple effects that it's had in their life and in the lives of other women. So uh, one of the women, her name is Emily Ho and her online name is Authentically Emmy. So she started out doing like weight loss blogging, gosh, probably 12 or 13 years ago, maybe even before that. And her blog was called Skinny Emmy at the time. And um, so she was kind of going through this weight loss transformation and got to the point for her where that no longer felt um, authentic to her. So she kind of transitioned and started doing uh, what she calls like plus size fashion blogging. So she was showing, sharing herself, wearing all these outfits. She really loves fashion. She's in a larger body. And all of these women were saying, where are you finding these outfits? Where, you know, where are you finding quality stuff at a good price? And so not only does she do fashion blogging now, but she has actually been able to work with companies who are launching um, plus size fashion lines to help them understand how they can be more successful so that more women in larger bodies have access to, to affordable, you know, cute quality clothing that fits their bodies and, you know, has been able to just make remarkable changes in other women's lives that way. So she literally was just showing up as herself, showing pictures of herself in outfits that she mm -hmm. likes, and she has been able to impact an entire industry and countless women by helping them get access to something they didn't previously have access to. And so there's just stories like that woven all throughout the book showing how, you know, doing these, these small, but, you know, they end up being small, but mighty things yeah. that create um, massive impact. And so she probably didn't think that posting a picture of herself in a dress with a cute scarf 10 years ago was going to change women's lives. But that's that's the power of the the ripple effect that I talk about in the book. You know, you lift lift one woman up by doing something, or lift two women up, and then they go lift two other women up, and then they go lift two other women up, and it it ripples into um, immeasurable impact. That's so so good. But I probably should have led with this. How can people get the book? Oh yeah, <laughs> so you could go to mollygalbraith.com forward slash book. So at this point in time, it's available in 
in the US, Canada, UK, Germany, New Zealand, and Australia. But hopefully, as um, the book releases and sells more, it'll be available more places. But if you go to mollykalbert.com forward slash book, you can, we have all the different places listed, including all the international retailers. Um, it's 30% off on Amazon and Target. Um, if you're someone who does not want to support Amazon and Target, totally understand. There's a link to bookshop.org, which is a really cool organization that allows you to purchase the book through them and then uh, donate, I think, 30% of the proceeds to your local independent bookseller to help support them. So that's really cool. So I always tell people like, hey, if you need the discount, if money's tight, like totally understand there's no shame in doing what you need to do in order to be able to purchase it. And um, if you know you have more means or whatever, I think it's really cool to purchase through Bookshop and be able to funnel those funds there. And then, like I said, there's all the international um, retailers are linked on that page as well. Damn. Molly. Oh, you folks listening, you know, we're going to link everything in the show notes. So don't like crash your car trying to write that down. We got you, but Molly, you wrote a fucking book. This is like yeah, amazing. I mean, we, you know what I mean? Like everything that we do at GGS is I'm just, I truly believe and the title of chapter six is better together. Cause I truly believe that we are better together. You know, I worked with Camille Putter on a lot of the storytelling, my partner, Casey, he sat next to me for 41 days and we worked seven to 11 hours a day on it. It was bananas. So his, one of his superpowers that he, he knows about himself is he can kick off projects and then he can come into any project at any point in time and make it 10 to 20% better. So it doesn't literally doesn't matter what it is. It's wonderful and so fucking annoying because it means he can poke holes in everything um, that anyone ever does. So when it's your partner who's really good at poking holes and stuff, that can be hard. But yeah, so we had I'd written the the manuscript, turned it in, got it back from my publisher, and then he and I sat down to go over it and worked on it for 41 more days. So it is definitely a passion project. You know, there was the incredible photographers who shot the cover and then designers who designed the inside of it and editors that we worked with and storytellers and stuff. So it is certainly, um, I think John, uh, one of my mentors and good friends, John Berardi talks about the myth of authorship, you know, like your name's on the front, but like so many amazing people went into helping create this awesome piece of art that I'm really proud of. Um, and so I definitely want to make sure that they're getting credit for, for what they've done. But yeah, book, man, book. That's just like, that's amazing. Like, and to be proud of it, you know, like I was like writing it like a year ago and to still be like really proud of it today and to feel like it's timely and timeless and as just it, like you said, it's going to, it's going to do something for people. It's going to give them stuff to do in their lives. It's going to help them, excuse me, it's going to help them change their own lives. It's going to help them learn how to change the lives of other women. It's going to teach them how to create more opportunity. Like that's the thing, opportunity. Like we need more opportunity for women and girls, and we need women and girls to understand how to seize those opportunities. And I think this book is, uh, is going to do just that. I love hearing this in your voice and for those of you listening, you know, I'm all about the listening around the edges and writing the story around the story. And Molly is someone who's, she's truly, a, you know, a goat, right? And and leading from the front and, and what she said earlier of like doing the things that, 
that she says and that she's writing and asking the people to do. And one of the things that I want you folks listening to this to take from this is have the confidence to embrace your confidence. Have the confidence to take up space. Have the confidence to say, yeah, I did this thing and I'm proud of it. I already know that for some people listening to this, when you hear people celebrate themselves, it may make you feel uncomfortable in some way, shape, or form because we're told like, that's bragging and like just told all this shit growing up. And if you're not told directly, you see it, you feel it, it's, it's there. I want you to take from this the ability to champion what you've done right? and stand behind what you've done and be fucking really proud and excited about what you've done. Because people will feel that energy and they, they take their cues from you and how you show up for things and how you, you know, how you stand behind things. They, they will do the same. And I'm incredibly, yeah. incredibly honored to have you, Molly, on here talking about this and talking about all the stuff you've done and showing up unapologetically about it and having done, put in the work to, to go through your own shit and, and be able to be in a place that you can actually be confident and proud of the stuff you've done. So Thank you for all the things that you've done, that you're doing, that you will do, Molly, because it's this is all a, it's a really big fucking deal. So thank, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you for all of your encouragement. I mean, that's what you just said. I just want to echo that like when we show up, we do the thing, we put ourselves out there, we're unapologetic, we're confident, like we inspire other people yes. to do the same. And you literally do that every freaking day with your like brilliant you know, bits of wisdom on Instagram, your hilarious videos that teach so well in like 15 seconds, right? Like you are a master of driving home really important points and these really punchy and fun and like entertaining and educational ways. And yeah, I know you showing up unapologetically and coaching and teaching other people to do the same. I mean, you are having ripple effects that are can't even be measured. So thank you for having me. Thank you for the important work you do. Thank you for inspiring everyone, including me. And thank you for giving me a place to share with your community. I know you value absolutely. your community deeply. So absolutely. Absolutely. Just thank you. And you're welcome. Molly, if people want to find you, connect you, st not stalk you, but appreciate <laughs> you, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, um, the book is mollygalbraith.com forward slash book. I am on Instagram at the Molly Galbraith and where um, Girls Gone Strong is on there as well at the Girls Gone Strong. And then if you are interested in the health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy information, we have a ton of great stuff on girlsgonestrong.com. Um, over a thousand articles, over a dozen free courses, our certifications, our coaching, all of that stuff can be found from the Girls Gone Strong homepage. You can navigate where you need to go from there. So, so good. Remember folks, everything will be in the show notes. Before I let you go, Molly, I asked this to all my guests, so I gotta ask it to you. Is there anything that you'd like to leave the people with? Ooh. No Let's pressure. See, like, a, like a word of wisdom or like a like an actual thing? Or a joke, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> anything you yeah. want. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I want, I want to let people know that within every single one of us, there are unique superpowers. And if we can learn what they are 
and how to harness them, we can make an enormous difference in our lives and the lives of other people. And like, we, we need each other. <laughs> we need ourselves. We need each other. There's never been a better time to show up and champion other women. And I really hope that you get this book and it teaches you how to do that. That's so good. So good. Molly, thank you. This has been just super dope and I'm invigorated and inspired. I'm like, let's go take over the world and change everything. So <laughs> thank you. You're a busy woman and you took the time. So I appreciate you. Same. Thank you too. Chat soon. This is awesome. You folks listening, thank you. I know you could have been doing anything and you chose to listen to us. And for that, we are both endlessly, endlessly appreciative. Not asking for any likes or subscriptions or anything like that. If this hasn't, if this resonated, if this episode resonated with you, if you liked it, if you loved it, I'm going to ask that you do two things. Number one, go check out Molly and her book. This, we need more of this. Number two, go and lift someone up. That's it. All right, folks, officially wrapping it up. Until next time, friends, Molly and Maestro. Bye.